Today on Behind the Headlines, the echoes of the Texas abortion law have reached Michigan. What does that mean for the citizens, and what does that mean for the law here in the state of Michigan? Joining us today on Behind the Headlines, Lauren Gibbons and Sam Robinson will be talking about all of that and more as we get into a very deep topic today on Behind the Headlines. As I said, our guests today as we talk all about abortion law in the state of Michigan, Lauren Gibbons and Sam Robinson, and my co-host, as always, Vice President of Content, John Heiner. John, how are you today? Eric, uh, uh, couldn't be better. It's, it's fall in Michigan. We had a debate about that this morning at the, the morning budget meeting with our editors. Uh, I know that uh, based on the calendar, fall is not here, but we're past Labor Day. The kids are at school, dropped my daughter off at college. Um, and now I'm just waiting for the uh, pumpkin spice lattes and the, the trees to change. So here we are. Hope you had a great, hope everybody out there had a great Labor Day weekend. We are into September. And uh, other than just saying, where did it go? It's a time to look back too on some some things that have been happening in the news. Um, obviously, couple of big stories that we've been following, of course, is COVID-19 and the Delta variant that's dominated a lot of uh, the headlines in, in the U.S., but also, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan and so forth. But one story that has happened the last few weeks that's unfolded that has, I think, a lot of consequences and, uh, you know, now it's actually causing some dominoes to fall is a Supreme Court ruling, and it was a shadow ruling, which we can get into in a bit, but on a Texas law limiting access to abortion. And already many states are, are lining up to say, we're going to copycat this law. There's some really unusual facets about both the Texas law and what the Supreme Court did. So today, uh, from our statewide team, we have reporters, political reporters, Lauren Gibbons. Good morning, Lauren. Good morning. And Sam Robinson. Good morning, Sam. Hey, how you doing? doing well thank you hope you guys had a great labor day weekend as well and now everyone's getting back to work and getting back to school and, and we're going to be digging into some of these issues i know uh sam uh, you've already written a, a one piece um about the reaction in michigan to what happened in texas in the supreme court but uh why don't you start by just telling us some of the unusual facets of this uh and and why after 50 years of roe v roe versus wade being the law of the land, it, it finally looks like uh, there's a big hole uh, that's allowing pro-life advocates and, and legislatures to, to, to push forward with some changes to abortion laws. Sure. So last week, uh, I believe it was, it was on Wednesday night, around midnight, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court decided not to issue an injunction on an emergency appeal. Um, which um, would have kept the law from, from taking effect there in Texas. And, and this law, uh, it, it prohibits abortions past six weeks, um, which we know that's before many women even know they're pregnant. Um, and that's not, that's not the only the part of the law that's kind of uh, making headlines here is a lot of people have, have pointed out um, that this law um, rather than having officials responsible for enforcing it, um, it, it authorizes private citizens to sue uh, abortion providers and anyone involved in facilitating abortions. Um, that could include Lyft and Uber drivers, um, folks that, that help women uh, get to a clinic uh, to offer or to, to, to get an abortion, rather. 
and uh, under the law, anyone who, that successfully sues another person um, would be entitled to, to $10,000. So um, as you mentioned, uh, I think I read over in Florida, uh, there are, there's interest from the state legislature there to kind of replicate the law. And some of the uh, lawmakers that I talked to in Michigan are concerned. Uh, obviously, Michigan's state legislature is, is controlled by uh, Republicans. So uh, there is fear that, that uh, on the Democratic side that this law um, could make its way uh, here. Yeah, there, the, the, the aspect was many aspects of this, but one uh, that you mentioned is that it's not making the government responsible for enforcement. It's, you know, in a worst case scenario, it's almost like bounty hunters. It's like turning private citizens loose. Um, it sounds like something out of the handmaid's tale to me, but where you have people, you know, who may have heard of an acquaintance or a neighbor or something, um, following up and, and suing the person who they suspect. And they say that under the law, anyone who is accused or has to defend themselves, win or lose, is responsible for their own legal expenses. They can't recover any legal expenses. So it, it, it almost runs counter in my mind to, you know, uh, in America, you, you, you know, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Um, it just casts a cloud of suspicion and also, of course, has a huge chilling effect. Um, and Lauren, you know, and Sam has written about some some uh, some legislation that has been proposed in Michigan. But what's the climate in Michigan right now in terms of uh, abortion rights and women's rights, things of that nature? We do have a Republican-controlled legislature. So, is this going to? Do you feel like there's a climate where this could get traction, or is the fact that we have a Democratic governor who wields a veto pen probably make that unlikely? Yeah, I would say in the last several years, uh, most of the uh, attempts to change Michigan's abortion policies um, have been through the ballot initiative process. We saw a couple of efforts recently that didn't end up making it to uh, the next stage in the ballot process um, at last, uh, last cycle, um, in part because, you know, currently we do have a uh, the Democratic slate of, um, of executive officials, a Democratic governor and a Democratic attorney general, who has been very vocal in the past about um, not being, not planning on enforcing um, these laws if they were to pass. And of course, in the Republican caucus and the legislature, um, I have been supportive of anti-abortion legislation in the past. Um, that said, it is important to note that with this Texas case, um, there's not any, you know, any binding rules on Michigan. It's very specific to Texas law. However, legal experts are watching for another case uh, coming out of the South in Mississippi uh, yeah. that does specifically go after the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade. And um, so that is what a lot of people in Michigan are watching. I would say that, uh, you know, both uh, anti-abortion and abortion rights advocates are, um, you know, kind of in a holding pattern at this point to see like what the next stage of these legal arguments are. Sam, in your article last week, you wrote about a couple bills that have been proposed. The first, can you detail what those entail? And, and then second, all of us here, we can talk about what the likelihood is that, that any of those gain any traction. 
Yeah, so there's a handful of bills, resolutions uh, that have been introduced um, by Republican lawmakers in Michigan that uh, would discourage or, or restrict access to uh, abortions. Um, a couple coming out of the House, uh, House Bill uh, 5086, um, uh, that's coming from uh, Sue Aller over in uh, Wolverine. Uh, it would amend the state's public health code uh, regarding the definition of abortions to include uh, the use of uh, drugs, uh, devices intended as contraceptives. And the bill would also prohibit a physician from performing an abortion before determining whether a heartbeat is detectable in the fetus. Um, another bill, uh, 4189, um, introduced by uh, Mary Whiteford, um, would uh, encourage, this is an interesting one, it, it, it would allocate funds, I believe it was $15 million to uh, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to run marketing campaigns uh, aimed at alternative um, options to abortion and, and really discouraging abortion and, and promoting childbirth. Uh, some of those are alternatives are of course adoption. Um, so there are bills um, coming out of the, the state legislature being introduced now, um, but uh, there hasn't been a concrete indication from uh, the, the Republican leadership in the state legislature. Um, we saw the state party uh, kind of cheer on uh, the action in Texas last week, um, but we haven't heard concrete from, from Senate or House leadership that they plan to kind of replicate uh, the Texas law just yet. We go back to that bill proposed by Representative Allard. What, it just puts, <laughs> In my mind, I'm trying to get my mind around what a device is. Are they talking about things like condoms or Plan B pills? Or, I mean, do you, do you have any uh, insight on what she's talking about in that bill specifically? Yeah, I believe um, the language includes like over-the-counter contraceptives, um, devices, and and um, medicines that you you might get at uh, you know Walmart or Kroger or Rite Aid. Um, it would certainly broaden uh, the definition of um, what what is considered um, uh, treatments used for you know con contraceptives. Uh, that would that would put it into the de definition of abortion. This uh, is interesting because we're not look, looking at just like a significant rollback of uh, or regression of political or personal rights as it relates to abortion, but it's almost like cultural and social as well. Um, and, you know, is, do you, both you and Lauren, is this something that is, or being organized across the country or are these things just uh, unique to Michigan in terms of um, the specificity of these kind of bills? Yeah, I would say that uh, abortion legislation uh, is re pretty frequently among those, um, those bills that are replicated around the country um, or pushed by lobbying groups uh, to be introduced in various state legislatures around the country. And I did just want to mention, I, I brought up the, um, I brought up the ballot initiatives on uh, in my previous comment. And I just wanted to mention that 
um, in 2020, there was kind of this interesting conversation and some disagreement among uh, anti-abortion groups about the direction that Michigan should take in terms of, you know, what sort of policies they should be moving forward. And there was an effort uh, to gather signatures for, it was promoted by the Michigan Heartbeat Coalition. And while there's, you know, some, uh, it, there, there was not anything um, like there was in the Texas law about, you know, the individuals suing, there wasn't anything like that, but there was um, an effort to uh, ban abortions uh, after the cardiac activity is detected. Um, and there, there were some uh, in the anti-abortion community that were actually opposed to that effort because Michigan currently has an inactive law on the books that was never overturned. Um, it was just invalidated by Roe v. Wade that would make um, abortion a felony in Michigan. And that was the 1931 law, I believe. And so okay. uh, some, some anti-abortion advocates are saying, you know, hey, uh, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, we have this law in the books that is actually more strict than what um, banning abortions after cardiac activity is detected or that six week mark. Um, the the law that was invalidated by Roe v. Wade is actually um, more strict. So that's another um, interesting aspect of this conversation in Michigan. Michigan is one of the states that never overturned or officially codified uh, Roe v. Wade in our uh, constitution or state statute. Uh, so if it were to be overturned, um, that law is still on the books. It's interesting to me is that Roe v. Wade may never be overturned. It may just be chipped away at and weakened. Um, the Texas law, the way it's constructed um, with the state not being responsible for enforcement was a, was a loophole of sorts um, that allowed them to, to pass the law without it being challenged under um, the, the Roe v. Wade's, you know, uh, constitutionality. So, you know, and then the second part of this that I want to talk about was the Supreme Court, which um, it's pretty well known for being, you know, this, this deliberative body that takes months to hear arguments and, 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 and weeks to, or months to write opinions and they sign on with their assent or dissents. And this, they released the, this was off the shadow docket, which means they didn't take arguments, they didn't take briefs, and they released the, just a vote um, before midnight last week. And, you know, what is this signal? Um, and what is this signal to both anti-abortion and, and, you know, the women's rights groups about how they have to strategize and, and, and fight their legal battles. Um, I guess I can take a stab at that. Um, these, these legal fights have been underway for some time, although a lot of people, you know, with the changing of the of the political makeup of the court, if you will. Um, obviously, these positions are technically nonpartisan, but uh, where a justice stands or where they could stand on Roe v. Wade is uh, often a major topic of conversation as uh, these folks are added to the court. And, um, you know, as uh, more historically conservative leaning justices have been added to the court, um, I think, uh, you know, uh, pro-abortion groups have really been paying attention and, you know, have been, you know, vigorously 
challenging a lot of these laws that are coming up in states. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I think, uh, especially after this ruling, uh, there's a lot of concern moving forward about uh, how it, you mentioned chipping away at Roe v. Wade and how that's been the strategy for the last several decades. But I think there is a little bit more concern now that perhaps you know there there could be um, interest on the court to take up a case that could um, you know reverse the precedent. Um, and so, uh, which would be you know it would be unusual. But um, I think a lot of folks who are watching this debate uh, are saying it's not totally out of the question. Yeah, and then the the Biden administration in response, which I found curious because I don't know what it means. Maybe you can help me said that they put the full weight of the government and government agencies behind fighting for women's access to abortion in Texas and across the country. Um, it, it sounded a little toothless to me because the Supreme Court ruled, but do you have any ideas, uh, Sam or, or Lauren, what that might mean from a, administratively, what can the government do, the federal government? Well, I can answer one, one of those things. Can you hear me fine off this uh, handy dandy microphone that I switched to because my yep, overhead uh, <laughs> is glaring here. Um, well, it, it, in Michigan, Lauren brought up that Michigan law. Um, you've, you, we, we've already seen uh, prosecutors. Uh, Ali Savitt over in Washtenaw County has said he's not going to uh, you know, prosecute anyone if uh, you know, Roe v. Wade were to be overturned and you have this uh, situation where this dormant law becomes uh, the law of the land. Uh, you know, it is going to kind of be up to local governments decide how they're going to enforce. Um, obviously, you've seen, and in, in, I know you're talking about government here, but in, in the private sector, we've already seen pushback from uh, rideshare companies like Lyft and Uber, who are saying, you know, we, we are not going to, uh, you know, give away this. We're not going to let uh, some website uh, on uh, Texas.gov, you know, uh, you know, at, at, we're not going to, you're not going to be legally um, at risk here for driving somebody to go get an abortion. Uh, so you're, you're definitely certainly going to see pushback. Um, what, what, what the federal government can do, uh, honestly, might, might be limited, uh, whereas local, uh, you know, prosecutors, um, uh, businesses and organizations, groups, people uh, are certainly going to step up here. Yeah, and I think um, I think as Sam alluded to, uh, any you know change at the federal level um, from the Supreme Court or otherwise uh, could would lead to a major patchwork of um, of how these different state laws, even different local laws, in some cases are enforced. Um, it would probably become extremely confusing to determine, um, you know, which areas um, would enforce uh, different aspects of these laws. There would be a ton of legal challenges, um, you know, both at the state and federal level. Um, it would kind of just, uh, I think, you know, turn into, but turn into kind of a nightmare to determine what, um, what these different laws signify, um, you know, how people would enforce it, whether they have the standing to enforce or not enforce it, 
And what that means is like, you know, if anyone is seeking this service, they would have a heck of a time trying to figure out how to do it legally. What is this right now in Michigan uh, in terms of how restrictive is it and how, how accessible are these services for women? Um, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's a pretty, there's pretty active Planned Parenthood in Michigan. There are, you know, providers around the state um, that offer these services. Uh, the, the Department of Health and Human Services, you know, keeps tabs on, on how many. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think there's, you know, certainly, um, you know, a c conversations to be had, um, you know, about access issues and whether the there's enough or whether there's you know um you know i guess like uh, from the from the pro-choice standpoint you know if if women have access to get to these facilities or if there's a monetary barrier in some cases but um you know i think compared to other other states um it's it's kind of hard to say it's a little bit different state by state, um, but there are certainly facilities that provide these services and um, there are, you know, active, um, there are active pro-abortion groups that, you know, continue to fight for uh, these rights and, you know, people in Michigan are, um, are still getting abortions, I mm -hmm. guess. This let's turn it inward a little bit and the nuts and bolts of reporting on it. This is a national issue. Obviously, it's a, it's a 50 year issue that in America of the sharp cultural divides and political divides over uh, access to abortions and um, when life starts and all of that. What's it like to be on our statewide team, be in Lansing, and how do you cover an issue that is this broad and, and national in scope, but do it in a way that makes it uh, relevant to people in Michigan? Well, you certainly uh, ask, talk, you know, we talk about personal experience. I think this, uh, Lauren, you mentioned MDHHS keeps a number, uh, keeps a tally on number of abortions in, in 2019, 28,000 nearly, around 27,000 abortions uh, were reported. And they note that's equivalent to roughly one abortion for every four live births, um, which you know, you can get in, into messaging on, on that statistic from both sides, right? Obviously, the anti-abortion folks would point out that's a huge number, mm -hmm. right? And I, I think the pro-choice folks uh, would be smart to point out, look at how normal and common this procedure is. Look at how many people are, are uh, you know, choosing to undergo this, this procedure. Um, when, when reporting for this story uh, that I wrote last week, uh, you know, talked to two folks that... Um, are in our state legislature, Christine Morse, um, who talked about, she was very vocal uh, last week um, in, in the fact that uh, an abortion, she, she says, saved her life at eight weeks. Um, a uh, state lawmaker, uh, Lori Pahutsky out in Livonia, talked about in 2017, um, she went to her medical provider to, to change her contraceptive services um, just because she was, you know, in, in fear that uh, those services may be interrupted. Um, so 
this is a very personal issue. And I think hearing people's stories um, is, is one way to re really, you know, drive home the point that this isn't just something that, you know, it's kind of a, you know, for, for better or worse, it's a, a taboo topic. And, and it's something that doesn't really necessarily have to be seeing how common it is. Obviously inspires a lot of deep passions though. And uh, it has been a political wedge issue for, like I said, since Roe v. Wade, probably even before that. Uh, Lauren, how active are the lobbies in Michigan and, and how powerful and, and how much does the Republican leadership look to um, both in the statewide lobbies, but also the national, you talked about some, some kind of carbon copy legislation or an agenda that they use, they follow at the various state uh, capitals to, to push um, uh, legislation statewide level. Oh, um, yeah, the Right to Life of Michigan and just the National Right to Life group is a very uh, prominent in Michigan. Uh, they're very politically active, uh, frequently talking to these Republican lawmakers. And um, you see a lot of, um, even, you know, in uh, political environments like this, where there's more, uh, I mean, uh, Governor Whitmer, who is a Democrat, has, um, you know, long said she wouldn't support um, chipping away at uh, abortion access or, um, you know, making any changes to make abortions more restrictive. But that doesn't mean that in the legislature um, you're seeing, uh, you know, you're seeing Republican lawmakers introduce these bills. As Sam mentioned, a few of them that have come through this session. Um, there's a lot of, you know, very vocal uh, Republican lawmakers uh, who, you know, talk about who talk about uh, their, their positions that they would like to see uh, more restrictions on, on abortion. And so, as, as you said, yes, it's a very passionate issue. Every time uh, these, um, every time these bills uh, get brought up on the floor for debate, uh, many, many lawmakers on both sides of the aisle come forward and share their stories and share what they've heard from their constituents. And um, yes, it, it gets very passionate and it gets very heated. Um, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the ballot initiatives in Michigan. There's um, one of the ways to pass laws is to collect enough signatures um, to collect enough signatures to get it to the legislature, where at that point they can either pass um, the proposal that was uh, brought forward by the citizen-led group, or they can send that onto the ballot. And in Michigan, there have been um, uh, ballot initiatives put forward by Right to Life of Michigan uh, that have passed through the legislature, and that process doesn't uh, even necessarily, that, that process doesn't involve um, the governor. If the legislature approves a citizen-led ballot initiative, um, that does become law. And so that's happened before. There have been other attempts recently um, that didn't uh, get the requisite amount of signatures, but that's another way that Right to Life of Michigan and other, um, other anti-abortion groups have you know, put forward uh, legislation related to abortion access. Yeah, I saw a number of Southern states, you mentioned Sam, Florida, but some others that already said that they are going to look closely at the Texas law, perhaps emulate it. Do you, either of you feel like the Texas law as it's passed and upheld by the Supreme Court would have any 
get any play on the on the floor of the legislature here or with a with a governor a democratic governor who would be almost certain to veto something like that you think it's a non-starter in michigan oh it, if it goes through the legislative process um I, there's currently with the way that um you know the democratic governor and the makeup of the legislature yes if if a bill um that we're restricting abortion access in some way were passed by the Republican-led legislature, uh, the governor would almost assuredly veto it. Um, and I don't believe that either chamber has, um, you know, there there's not an outright uh, Republican override majority. Um, mm -hmm. There there are Democrats would most likely block a veto override attempt as well. Right. What aspects of journalistically look going forward now that this is this has happened and obviously a lot's gonna happen around the country? What are you we gonna watch here in Michigan? What are you guys gonna watch? Um and uh, follow up any anything that's uh on your agenda for follow-up coverage on this issue. Um yeah, I think uh, I think just the logistics of what it would look like if this law were to go back into effect. I think some of the things that uh, Sam uh, mentioned in terms of uh, whether, you know, like what what local um, prosecutors and what local prosecuting attorneys um, make of this situation, uh, what legal scholarship says um, about, what's happening and you know how it could impact Michigan going forward and um, the likelihood um, that we could see you know a, a potential overturning of of Roe v Wade and you know what the what the logistics of that would be for Michigan and also um, also as Sam said you know uh, that this could have um, you know very real consequences for Michigan residents uh, one way or the other and just keeping an eye on, you know, what what people are watching, what people are hoping to see um, out of some of these legal challenges and rulings, and um, yeah, I guess just kind of keep following how Michigan compares to other states, and um, it, especially if it's going in a direction where states will have a outsized role in determining um, whether this is something that people can access. Um, you know, how Michigan interplays with other states, if, if there's, um, you know, surrounding states that have different policies, if we notice like a trend of, you know, people coming in or going out um, to get these services, that would be something, um, you know, to keep in mind as well. But that's, you know, a little bit down the road as we kind of wait and see what um, the legal ramifications will be. Yeah, any final thoughts from you, uh, Sam? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in, in hearing from uh, our state lawmakers on, on the Republican side and really, uh, you know, gauging how they're taking in um, this, what, you know, on their perspective is a win. And, and really, you know, one of the major victories of the Trump era, right? We're seeing the ramifications of that now. Um, with these conservative judges. Mm -hmm. um, and um, that's something that's likely not going to go away. It's not going to be a single issue, right, with abortion. We're going to keep seeing 
the result of Trump's installment of, of these uh, uh, conservative-leaning Supreme Court justices. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, in the, in the months and, and years ahead um, what that turns out to look like. These big rulings that happen at a national level, and I, I think about the uh, Supreme Court ruling on, on same-sex marriage, that seemed like so broad and big and you know, sweeping, but where we ended up, um, you know, MLive journalists ended up being relevant in that is it, it impacts people at a day-to-day real-life level. It, it impacts lives uh, at a, a local level, a neighborhood level, people you know. And I think that's one aspect of coverage on issues like this too, is that where we, we you know, we, we come in and, and we provide context at a human level and a community level. And I think that's probably what we'll be watching for going forward too, as, as this is obviously far from over and we'll, we'll be writing about it for some time to come. So uh, Lauren and Sam, I really appreciate you joining us today uh, to talk about the ramifications of that uh, the Texas law and the Supreme Court ruling. And thanks for joining us on Behind the Headlines this morning. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks, John. And there they go. A big thanks to Sam and Lauren for joining the podcast. As always, if you like what John and I are doing, like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcast. Till next week, he is John Heiner. I am Eric Hulkerin, and this is Behind the Headlines.